0: Doppelganger is a person who looks just like someone else. When Elvis Presley first died, there were rumors that he was still alive because someone saw his doppelganger, a person who looked like him, stocking shelves at a local store in Memphis, Tennessee. When Prince Harry stepped down from his royal duties, jokes were aplenty about how people were glad that he had found a new job when photos emerged of his doppelganger screwing in a light fixture while working for an electrical company. In families, doppelgangers are very common. I can see that the older I get, the more I look like and act like my dad. It's shocking to me. My grandson, William, was a doppelganger, only of his father, Jeremy, when he was first born. We affectionately called William mini-me. But now he's a doppelganger for his mother, Rebecca, The baby pictures are identical. Doppelgangers like William are very sweet, but have you heard these two jokes about doppelgangers? First, my doppelganger has just walked in and sat on the other end of the couch. I'm beside myself. And what is a doppelganger's favorite letter in the alphabet? Think about it. A W. Okay, enough of that. Last week, we read Moses' words about God raising up someone like him, a doppelganger, spiritual doppelganger, not someone who would look like Moses, but someone who would be like Moses, doing the things of Moses, pleasing God as Moses did. Here is what Moses prophesied.
1: The Lord your God will raise you up for you, a prophet like me, from among you, from your fellow Israelites. You must listen to him.
0: Muslims claim that this verse applies to their founder and prophet Muhammad. This is a foundational verse for Islam because they always want to connect back to Christianity. But it is not accurate, for it ignores Moses' statement that a person like him would be Jewish, an Israelite, a brother, a thing clearly Muhammad was not, and which radical Muslims with their virulent anti Jewish bent would be appalled by. Point of fact, Moses' prophecy Christianity has always taught refers to Jesus. As we mentioned last Sunday, it is easy to see that Jesus was like Moses in many ways, a spiritual doppelganger for sure. Moses was an Israelite, so was Jesus. Moses lived in a time when an evil ruler, the Egyptian pharaoh, pronounced a death sentence on Jewish baby boys. But so did Jesus when an evil king, Jewish king, Herod the Great, ordered the killing in Bethlehem of all the Jewish boys under two. Moses served in a royal court, the adopted grandson of Egypt's pharaoh, but he gave up his royal position and by doing so ended up saving his people, the Israelites. Jesus resided in a royal court, the court of heaven, And it was his giving up of that throne, we read in Philippians chapter 2, to come to earth and take on human flesh that saved people. Moses performed the miracles of God, and so did Jesus. By the way, the Quran states matter-of-factly that Muhammad performed no miracles. Moses came to his people after 400 years of silence, silence from God, when the Israelites were in Egyptian slavery. Jesus came to his people after the 400 so-called years of silence in which God's voice was not widely heard, that period extending from the end of the Old Testament in Malachi to the start of the New Testament in the time of John the Baptist. Moses instituted a covenant between God and his people, as did Jesus, covenants both based on blood sacrifices. As well, when Moses brought salvation to his people through the Passover blood on the doorposts of all those safely within their houses, so did Jesus, whom the New Testament calls the Passover lamb, through his blood spilt on the wooden beams of a cross, the effects of salvation of which are for all those safely within the household of faith. When Moses was in God's presence, his face glowed, thus revealing God's glory. And so did Jesus' face as well as his entire body on the Mount of Transfiguration when it glowed with the heavenly radiance that Peter and James and John saw. Moses died for his people's benefit so that they could get on with entering into the physical promised land, just as Jesus died for his followers to enter into the spiritual promised land. And just as God used Moses to set people free from slavery, slavery in Egypt, So did Jesus, in a spiritual sense, set people free from slavery, slavery to the devil, to sin, and to the effects of sin. I'm going to stop there, but there are many other doppelganger similarities in which Jesus is like Moses. But enough of my ramblings. What does the New Testament have to say about this? One day, shortly after Pentecost Sunday, in the early days of the church, the Apostle Peter was in the temple area, and through him... God healed a crippled beggar. When people saw it happen, they were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened with that man because they had all known that man to be a cripple. And so we read.
1: When Peter saw this, he said to them, Fellow Israelites, why does this surprise you? Why do you stare at us as if by our own power or godliness we had made this man walk? The God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the God of our fathers, has glorified his servant Jesus. Jesus. Heaven must receive him until the time comes for God to restore everything as he has promised long ago through his holy prophets. For Moses said, the Lord your God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your own people. You must listen to everything he tells you.
0: So Peter in the early church firmly believed that Moses' prophecy applied uniquely to Jesus. As for Jesus, he himself had this to say about his relationship with Moses.
1: If you believed Moses, you would believe me, for he wrote about me.
0: As well in one of the strangest episodes in the wandering of the Israelites, a wandering that could have been short and swift, as we read in the book of Deuteronomy when we preached through it recently, but instead became, because of their persistent disobedience, a 40-year journey of long and arduous years. In one of those episodes, the Israelites were complaining against Yahweh God. Remember, Yahweh God had provided them with heavenly manna to gather each morning. He had given them quail to eat, low-flying quail. And yet, despite all of that and the fact that he consistently gave them water to drink, the people spoke out against God and Moses, saying, Why have you brought us up out of Egypt to die in the desert? There is no bread, there is no water, and we detest this miserable food, the manna and the quail. In response, God arranged for venomous snakes to enter into the camp, not so that the people would die from any poisonous snake bites, but that they would learn learn about how to trust him.
1: The people came to Moses and said, We sinned when we spoke against the Lord and against you. Pray that the Lord would take the snakes away from us. So Moses prayed for the people. The Lord said to Moses, Make a snake and put it upon a pole. Anyone who's been can look at it and live. So Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Then when anyone was bitten by a snake and looked at the bronze snake, they lived.
0: Moses instructed the people to look up to the instrument of God's healing upon that pole, a bronze snake, to take their eyes off of their own troubles, off of their snake bites, is what he was saying to them. And in doing what they were told, and by looking away from the thing that was troubling them and up to God's instrument of healing, they were saved. It's a wonderful story of trusting God, as bizarre as it is. But this story became all the more bizarre by the historical fact that the Israelites then were so taken by that bronze snake on the pole that they kept it, they preserved it, and they worshipped it. You will remember that the Israelites were polytheists for centuries, worshipping many gods. And that's why God and his Ten Commandments, the first two, were about them being polytheists. And he didn't want them to anymore be polytheists, but mono, one-theists. And so he wrote to them and said to them in the first two of the Ten Commandments, Do not worship idols, but worship me only. And do not make for yourself any graven images out of objects. With the bronze snake, though, the Israelites were so taken by what had happened and the healing and salvation that had come to them. The threat of death the threat of death from snake bites being over, the Israelites took that bronze snake and that pole and they made it into a graven image. An idol, a false god, they worshipped it for hundreds of years. And when the good and faithful King Hezekiah centuries later ascended to the throne, he determined to do a spiritual cleansing of Israel. And so one of the things he did was to get rid of false gods and idols, starting with Moses' bronze snake. And so we read that King Hezekiah,
1: Broke into pieces the bronze snake Moses had made for up to that time, the Israelites had been burning incense into it. It was called Nehushtan, which means unclean thing.
0: Such a bizarre episode. But how did Jesus tie all this together? Well, it was a doppelganger spiritual moment of teaching for him. Jesus used that well-known bronze snake up on a pole, bronze snake of Moses episode, to tell his own followers to similarly that similarly they could look up at him on his own pole, his cross, and find health and safety and salvation there. It would be the place upon which Jesus would save them. As was his practice, in the passage we're about to read, Jesus used the third-person term of the Son of Man in referring to himself in this spiritual doppelganger movement. But here is what Jesus said about trusting in God for healing and salvation. And note that he ties it in together with the most famous verse in the New Testament, he said, you'll get healing and salvation by looking up at God's instrument, the being He, that instrument being he himself on the cross.
1: Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life.
0: It's remarkable to me. stands out that the most beloved verse for Christians in the entire Bible, John 3.16, is connected with such a bizarre incident of a bronze snake up on a pole. But Jesus tied Moses' bronze snake of healing and salvation for those who looked up to it with himself, that as we look up at his pole, his cross, and similarly put our trust in God, just as the people in Moses' time put their trust in God, that we will find health and safety and salvation. Now, elsewhere in the New Testament, the letter of the writer to the Hebrews, an anonymous person whose identity is one of much speculation, had much to say about Moses and his spiritual doppelganger, Jesus. But he says that Jesus is much greater than Moses. And so to start, the author wrote these words.
1: Therefore, holy brothers and sisters who share in the heavenly calling, fix your thoughts on Jesus, whom we acknowledge as our apostle and high priest. He was faithful to the one who appointed him, just as Moses was faithful in all God's house. Jesus has been found worthy of greater honor than Moses, just as the builder of a house has greater honor than the house itself. For every house is built by someone, but God is the builder of everything. Moses was faithful as a servant in all God's house, bearing witness to what would be spoken by God in the future. But Christ is faithful as the son over God's house, and we're his house if indeed we hold firmly our confidence and the hope in which we glory. So as the Holy Spirit says today, if you hear his voice, do not harden your heart as you did in the rebellion during the time of testing in the wilderness where your ancestors tested and tried me, though for 40 years they saw what I did.
0: As you know from having just preached through the book of Deuteronomy, the original Israelites of the exodus ended up not even entering into the promised land, that place of rest for them, where they would not be slaves to anyone nor oppressed by others. Instead, because of their constant sinning, God let them die in the wilderness. The writer of Hebrews warns his readers to not harden our hearts against God or his commandments. Be different from the Israelites in Moses' time, who had hardened their hearts against God and his law.
1: Who were they who heard and rebelled? Were they not all those Moses led out of Egypt? And with whom was he angry for forty years? Was it not with those who sinned, whose bodies perished in the wilderness? And to whom the God swear that they would never enter his rest, if not to those who disobeyed? So we see that they were not able to enter because of their unbelief.
0: The most tragic facet of the entire Exodus story, we always focus on the Exodus. Hollywood focuses on the Exodus. But the most tragic facet of it is that those people, with the exceptions of Joshua and Caleb, died in the wilderness. Unnecessarily so. So. Because of their sinfulness, they did not make it into the promised land. You see, God knew that his children had to be spiritually strong and trusting in him when they entered into the promised land, if they were to keep the promised land, if they were to survive there and thrive there. Quoting them from the Old Testament, the writer of Hebrews challenges us.
1: Today, if he hears voice, do not harden your hearts. For if Joshua had given them rest, God would not have spoken later about another day. There remains a Sabbath rest for the people of God, for anyone who enters God's rest also rests from their works, just as God did from his. Let us therefore make every effort to enter the rest, so that no one will perish by following their example of disobedience. For the word of God is alive and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to diving soul and spirit, joint and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart.
0: the writer of this letter to the Hebrews ties in that very famous verse with the sins of the people in the desert, thinking if there's any an example of the word of God being alive and true, it's that one. And so heed the word of God God's words are true, and his word is trustworthy, active, and alive. Let us do as it says, is what the writer to the Hebrews wrote. Now, having just heard that the writer of Hebrews has brought Joshua into the picture, we will now do the same. For Joshua and Jesus were also tied together, spiritual doppelgangers, in much the same manner that Moses and and Jesus were. Moses, nearing the end of his life, we read last week, trusted God and his plan for his people, accepting that it would not be him but Joshua leading the people into the Promised Land. Thus Moses did a transference of the mantle of leadership from him onto Joshua, and he laid his hands on Joshua, and he prayed for the Spirit of God to now enter into Joshua, symbolizing the power and might of God being within Joshua, starting from that moment on. So going forward now into the book of Joshua, we'll begin it by reading the first nine verses.
1: After the death of Moses, the servant of the Lord, the Lord said to Joshua, son of Nun, Moses 8, Moses, my servant, is dead. Now then you and all these people get ready to cross the Jordan River into the land I'm about to give to them, to the Israelites. I will give you every place where you set your foot as I promised Moses. Your territory will extend from the desert to Lebanon and from the Great River, the Euphrates, all the Hittite County to the Mediterranean Sea in the West. So no one will be able to stand against you all the days of your life. As I was with Moses, so I will be with you. I will never leave you nor forsake you. Be strong and courageous because you will lead these people to inherit the land I swore to their ancestors to give them.
0: who could also be called Jesus, who led the Israelites into the promised land. Here's what I mean. The Hebrew name Yeshua, which is what he would have been called, means Yahweh is salvation. God saved the people through Joshua, Yeshua originally. Centuries later, a man named Joseph, Matthew 121, and then his betrothed Mary, in Luke 1.31, had in separate encounters the angel Gabriel appear to them to inform them that God, through his Holy Spirit, had impregnated Mary and that she would be having a son. And Gabriel told Mary and Joseph that they were to give this baby boy of theirs the Hebrew name Yeshua, that Yeshua, one who would turn out to be our salvation, praise God, was born in Bethlehem. And so he grew up, and within three years of starting his ministry as an adult, he had a band of about 120 believers, men and women, who followed him everywhere he went. Now, after his death and resurrection, and before his ascension back to his heavenly throne in heaven from whence he had come, Yeshua told his followers to go throughout the world, telling people the good news of health and safety and salvation That would come to them as they looked up to him on the pole, on the cross, and accepted his sacrifice for them, trusting in God's plan for their lives. Those first believers were all Jewish. But as they went throughout the Roman Empire, where everybody spoke Greek, they wisely transliterated Jesus from the Jewish word Yeshua into the Greek language using the applicable Greek word. And so the Greek word for Yeshua is Jesus. Later, when Christianity spread to other parts of the world, the name of Yeshua, Jesus, was transliterated into whatever the word was in the applicable languages of the listeners. So in our church foyer, we have a beautiful mural containing the phrase, Jesus loves you, written in the different languages of the people, you who attend our church. So in English, the name Jesus is pronounced Jesus. But in the languages of you, our church family, for example, you can read up on the board, the name of Jesus is pronounced as Yesu, Yesu, Jesus, Jesus. And I know that within the Spanish speaking world, Jesus, Jesus, very commonly used as a name among males. Now the name Joshua was assigned at the time of the first translators of the English Bibles to the Old Testament Yeshua to differentiate him from Jesus. But it's the same name. Joshua Jesus. Same name. But they were spiritual doppelgangers. And so we'll see five points here. They were spiritual doppelgangers in that they both bore the same name, number one. Number two, they both began their earthly life in obscurity and rose or have risen, in the case of Jesus, to the highest point of human honor. They were both obedient to him that sent them and did the work which he gave them to do, number three. Number four, they both led, or in Jesus' case still lead, the people of God into the promised land. Number five, they both brought to the people of God deliverance from the enemies of God. So in this season of Advent 2021, I want to tell you, God is still at work. As Janet prayed for us earlier, The hope and the peace that we pray for are real. They're not just words. And the events in the lives of the Israelites with Moses and Joshua in the Old Testament, it's not just a story, a bunch of stories. Interesting reading. Rather, those events are still applicable to us today because of the spiritual doppelganger Jesus was to Moses and to Joshua. But Jesus is greater than either of them. And so I want to assure you, as we look at the Advent candles of hope and peace, and as we remember, we remember Jesus' words, to look upon him on the pole, the cross, and accept his sacrifice for you, whatever anxiety you're going through, Whatever agitation may be clamoring for your attention at this time will be dealt with by Jesus as you look up to him in faith, trusting in him. His sacrificial death on the cross was for you, was for me, was for each of us, that we would find healing and salvation. In fact, his birth as a babe in Bethlehem was for the express purpose of of leading his people to salvation. And he did that through his death for us. The baby born to die. So I want to encourage you have faith to trust God with all your anxieties with all your problems for your salvation. Have faith to believe in God's solution for your problems and look up. Look up to Jesus, the one lifted high on the pole on the cross for you, for me, for us. Put your trust in him and you will be healed, kept safe, and saved. Amen.